0: Yeah. Uh, a lot of times we'll come in and I'll start talking or we'll all start talking and there's just great conversation going. I'm like, man, we should have hit record 10 minutes ago. Right. I mean, we got started about talking jujitsu right off the bat. Like, <laughs> You can't not record that.
1: Um, it's been
0: really good for our kids.
1: Good. Um, you know, that's, I've heard it from multiple people that just they wish they had started when they were younger Yeah. because it just teaches so many things between self-defense and discipline. Self Yeah. Yeah.
0: I've had, uh, Two different black belts on here, and they both run schools here in Rexburg. Um, both awesome. Uh, our kids go to Soma Jiu Jitsu. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also one here in town called Pack. <clears throat> and um, with with ours, I've just seen James at Soma teach so many classes because our kids go there, and he, he teaches life lessons to these kids in the middle of class. So they think they're they're learning Jiu Jitsu. Well, they're really learning like to, to James. And I think to a lot of just jiu-jitsu instructors, and really if you've made it to black belt, like you've done you've done some things in your life. You've seen some things. To him, jiu-jitsu is life, mm-hmm. and life is jiu-jitsu. <laughs> so, you know, you're on the mat. You're taking care of your partner. Well, in life, you're taking care of your partner. You know, someone comes in and they, they maybe challenge you in some negative way. Well, then what do we do? Do we just fight them? I mean, we could because we, we know how. Right. Or do you do you walk away? And it's interesting because as our kids get more, uh, what is that? Confidence, like Mm -hmm. confidence to beat the crap out of some kid if they needed to, they don't because they don't need to. Right. So it's been, it's pretty cool.
1: You know, that's one of the things that I think we miss when I'm coaching mountain bike, because we've been doing this mountain bike league for what am I, I'm on my fourth or fifth year now yeah and they try to have a couple of values and things but they're not like boy scouts or like jujitsu where there's like these principles that you're really trying to teach like most of the time we get on the bike and we ride yeah yeah <laughs> which is great but you know, there's a lot of lessons in there like you, you know you're climbing up the hill and you got to keep on going but we don't intentionally get off the bike and and talk about what are the life lessons that we learned and how can we apply those beyond this practice you know when you get to school tomorrow and things get hard yeah what is yeah how do you take what you learned today to that yeah we don't ever do that
0: all uh, we have this code of conduct and he talks about it quite often and i have kind of adapted it to crossfit a little bit and our coaches probably get really annoyed when they hear me talking about jujitsu jitsu all the time. They're like, well, I thought you went to CrossFit, gym." But there's so much that can transfer. So, you know, this code of conduct talks about those specific things. And, I mean, those kids, every time they get on a bike and they're riding to the top of a hill and it gets hard, well, what's your mind doing? Oh, I can't do this. This is too hard. I'm not strong enough. That kid's stronger than me. That kid has more grit than I do. My bike's not as nice as his. You know, all this stuff. Well, then what happens in life? We get there and we go, well, he has more advantages than me. He is stronger than me. He's, But they all made it to the top of the hill. You mm-hmm. know, just got to learn that. So it would be kind of cool to come up with some type of curriculum.
1: Yeah. They, and they've got some curriculum, but it, I don't think it gets out to the kids enough. But, I mean, what you just pointed out, though, is one of the reasons I love CrossFit is it's CrossFit. The, the principles are— Take the best practices from everything, whether it's yeah. from jujitsu, or mountain bike, or wherever it might be, and apply those to life. Yeah, that's like one of the best foundational principles I love about CrossFit.
0: Yeah, and you're a you're a fit guy. What do you what do you do? You obviously mountain bike a lot, and you do you do CrossFit?
1: I do CrossFit on my own every now yeah. and then. That's awesome. Probably do pro- maybe like one or two CrossFit workouts a week. Cool. But most of the time I'm, I'm I do I do twice. Did I ever tell you this? I do two days. That's. Insane. So I do I do a cardio workout usually in the morning or at lunch, and then I'll flip flop and do weight training the other the other one. So I usually have a block at like five six o'clock in the morning, and then a block usually about noon, and then I'll just figure out whatever I'm going to do. Sometimes it's mountain biking, sometimes it's just cycling, sometimes it's running, but a lot of times it's weight training. Yeah, and a lot of calisthenic stuff.
0: Yeah, because you're one of the few people on earth that can do muscle ups, right? (laughs) Yeah, it's there's that that's a Low percentage of people that can do muscle-ups. Is it really? It really is. I mean, if you think of the world, you know, the 8 billion people or whatever they say is in the world, very few can do a muscle-up.
1: I learned it when I was 40. That's awesome.
0: <laughs> How old are you now?
1: I'm 45.
0: That So a 45-year-old doing two-a-days, working a full-time job, you mountain bike a lot, you run a YouTube channel.
1: I help run a lot of my wife's YouTube stuff, and I have my own YouTube channel, but it's more for fun than anything yeah. else.
0: Well, that's this for me. I no monetization in it. I mean, it'd be cool too, but I have a long ways to go yeah. there, but um how do you maintain all that? That's a lot to maintain. How do you keep your calm and cool demeanor and good personality through all that?
1: Well, I don't know that I maintain it all the time, that's for sure. Um but if I do, it's probably just because I that's my time, that's my personal time. My gym time is or my bike time is just how I release I love it just lets my mind wander, lets me focus on other things, and then hopefully I can reset for when I have to face harder things yeah. during the day, when I, whether it's the kids or it's work or whatever it might be. Yeah. And I don't know that I do that well, but well, I try.
0: I get that. I, it's <clears throat> it, it's tough. <clears throat> um, I guess doing all that, though, gets you the grit that is needed to get through the other stuff. Something kind of like we were talking about with kids. I guess we're just older kids at this point. <laughs>
1: That's what I feel
0: like. Yeah. Yeah. That's
1: pretty cool. What got you into mountain biking? You know, that's a really funny thing. I got invited to go mountain biking by a bunch of guys probably about 15 years ago. It was probably 12, 15 years ago. And I didn't have a mountain bike. And I was so mad that I couldn't go because I didn't have a bike. So I kind of talked Christine into buying me one. And so we got this cheap little mountain bike. And we were in Texas. And there was only, like, one trail to go to. (laughs) And I started going, like, on my own here and there. And I didn't know what I was doing. And I did that for a couple of years and then we moved away and I didn't mountain bike again until we moved to Idaho. So, I mean, it was years of just, I I, kind of dabbled in it a little bit and then didn't do it at all. Yeah, Reset get here to Idaho and there's mountain bike teams and there's all sorts of people mountain biking. And it just, you know, started, that was about 2014 Yeah, and from 2014 to about 2019, Mountain bike was kind of a slow-growth thing, but it was starting to get more and more popular. 2019-2020 hits. Oh. Hog wild. I mean, it's like one of the fastest-growing sports in the nation.
0: I didn't know that. And So COVID actually had a positive effect on something.
1: Yeah. Yeah. People just wanted to get outside. Now the problem is the the bike companies are struggling.
0: As in keeping enough bikes coming?
1: No, everybody bought bikes. Oh. Because there was this big influx. Everybody needed a bike. And then... Everybody has a bike, and now people okay. learned that, oh, I don't know that I like it that much. Yeah. And so now the, the market's flooded with lots of bikes, lots of used bikes, but there's not this continuous cycle of new people coming in just yeah. yet. So uh, are there a lot of companies going under? It's, they're on the brink. It's the, the whole bike industry is just a little dang on edge right now.
0: They need to innovate somehow. I know. What I wonder, are you plugged in enough to that industry to help them? Help them go innovate somehow.
1: <laughs> no, they need to put motors on them. I mean, that's really all they need to do. they were doing that. Yeah. I mean, that's honestly that's where they're selling a lot right now. I Is electric bikes? Yeah. I, I do. I do
0: not go. I'm not a mountain biker at all. But I love that Husqvarna that, that I have. I mean, the Husqvarna like actual motorbike. I love that one too. But the one with a uh, with a uh,
1: assist is pretty great. I mean, whether it's dirt biking or mountain biking, like the the draw is kind of the same. Yeah. The difference yeah. is, I just love being under my own power. Yeah. There's just something, there's something about it. Even though it sucks sometimes going up those hills, those climbs are just like gut-wrenchingly hard. Yeah. Yeah, I need to do that. Cruising the downhill and just tearing up trails is so fun. The downhill
0: is fun. That's one thing that drew me to the, the assisted pedal is it made it getting up higher, faster, easier so that I could just go down.
1: I know guys that are training for full-on cross-country races with an e-bike. Really? Because it really lets them kind of monitor and control their heart rate. Interesting. Okay, and so, so they're
0: they're going up. They're they're saying, "Hey, I'm zone four right now, and I want to stay in zone four. So then they give some assistance to stay and, there,
1: and they get to put way more time and attention into the downhill riding, so they get way better on uh, bombing some of these downhills, and just their technique gets better. They can they can put way more time on a bike per day than I can if I'm under my whole my own power the whole time. Okay, unless I'm going to. You know the mountain bike park and riding the lift up. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Which now we have a couple, right? Because mm-hmm. Targhee's doing it. Every, I Kelly, mean, almost Kelly's
1: everybody's doing it.
0: it. It's smart from a business standpoint. I mean, you can only be open in the winter normally. Now, <clears throat> they can get some.
1: Yeah, I mean, some summer. Targi, Jackson Hole, um, Big Sky—they're all open in the win- in the summers. So in the summer,
0: how much time do you think you put in per week on a mountain bike? <laughs>
1: I don't know if I can actually calculate that. I might be embarrassed to find out. Yeah. <laughs> I bet you. So we coach two nights a week, and those nights I'm probably on the bike or at least at practice for four hours. Yeah. And then I usually, you know, squeak in one or two more rides on my own. Wow. So you're probably 12 hours a week. I'm probably 12 hours a week on a bike. Do you count those as your workouts? I do.
0: During the summer?
1: I do. Cool. Yeah. That's where I get some – sometimes it gets frustrating though when we're coaching kids it's not the workout that you want because you're, you know, you're kind of with different age groups and doing certain things. And so sometimes it gets frustrating that you're, you know, stopped every couple of miles trying to figure out if you got everybody on the team, if you got, if you yeah. missed anybody at the last turn or whatever it might be.
0: It, it's so interesting <clears throat> to me, all the different things that exist. So, I mean, I just have never really thought of coaching mountain biking, but obviously it's a skill. There's lots of skill involved, balance, endurance, how to pedal, all of that. Like, what? How do you coach a kid through mountain biking? Just say the first
1: three years. So they put uh, the Nike League that I'm in. They actually uh, train all of the coaches. What they call it, on the bike training one hundred and one and one hundred and two. And I got certified to teach that one. So here's what we usually do. Let's see if I can remember all of it. <clears throat> um, we talk. We go through climbing skills. So we talk about body position when you're climbing. Um, There's different types of climbs, right? You can get out of your bike. There's a crouched climb. There's full-on standing climbs Um, There's body position. There's bike body separation was what we call so you can make sure you figure out how to let the bike Go up and down and side to side and the body kind of stays in the middle And you kind of lean the bike and tip the bike and move your body up and back just to make sure you can climb well Um, What else do we do we talk about cornering? So cornering is also the bike body separation. How do you really tip the bike over and keep your, you know, most people want to lean with the bike. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, But you got to keep that center of gravity.
1: You got to keep that center of gravity. The more you stay up on top, the more traction you can put down on those tires.
0: When I was racing uh, dirt bikes a little bit, we would get clear up onto the... the, On the side. uh, Yeah. Up onto the side, but then also up on the gas tank. Yeah. So, you know, you're you're getting further up on the bike. Is that the same? Same thing.
1: Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. Same thing. Like if we go out to, let's say we go to um can can you remember i'm totally blanking out today you're good um <clears throat> if we went to slick rock bike park in moab right it's all these like petrified sand dunes right so to climb you got to get your belly button almost over the top of the handlebars oh, okay but when you go down the other side you got to get your rear end back yeah. over the back tire and so that's the whole thing so we train a lot of that for the first few years is just go over and over those types of drills that's really cool how to make really good pedal strokes right really wide Yeah, you know, you're not just mashing potatoes. Yeah, type thing. Getting efficient
0: in CrossFit, I talk about wiping the mud off the bottom of your feet. Exactly, that kind of the same. It's it's
1: exactly the same thing we would tell our own kids in mountain bike. Uh, About what age are they starting? So we start in sixth grade. So we've got twelve year olds. Yeah, and we do all the way through twelfth grade, right? So we're basically twelve year olds through eighteen. Cool. Yeah,
0: that's like yeah, that's we need to get our kids into that.
1: So we've got. Our, our team has 110 kids on the team, and we had almost 60 parent coaches last year. Holy cow. And so they have everything from, like, you just basically kind of do a level one where you're, you've got, like, the basic training on kind of youth protection type stuff. Yeah. And then there's level two. You get a little bit more certified in first aid. They have wilderness first first aid classes for these guys and teach them some of the other things. And then all, there's all the way up to level three. So they have one, level one, two, and three. So there's a whole curriculum, but it's all for coaches and we're still kind of struggling, I think, to get certain principles down into the students. But yeah, it's all about getting kids on bikes. Yeah. Even though we race, their number one priority is getting kids physically active out in the wilderness. That's cool. I like that I like. a lot. It, are,
0: <clears throat> are you varied in how many kids are doing it just to be out there and how many actually want to compete or, or in this case, does everybody compete?
1: Every team's a little different. I've talked to some, some families that are uh, racing in, in Utah leagues or in um, Colorado, and some of those teams are super competitive, and everybody that signs up on the team has to race. Okay. But I know our team is probably only about 60% of the kids that sign up for the team actually do the races. Yeah. So, honestly, if you just want to come and meet new kids and come and ride, our team's a great place to do it. That's cool.
0: I like that. That's fun. So that's your passion.
1: It's pretty fun. Yeah. I don't know if it's my passion, but I I really enjoy riding a bike. Yeah it's super healthy for you. The fitness is just unbeatable. I, think there's, I don't know if I've ever hurt as bad as I've hurt on a bike before. That makes sense. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, I guess I don't know if Justin Packard, how much he wants me to say, but when I was a paramedic, I went and gave him an IV once after loaded you. Uh,
1: I know uh, that story. <laughs> yeah. He
0: passed out while Courtney went to get the car and I guess she took like 15 or 20 minutes to go to get the car. And he thought that it just, took her a minute because he had passed out (laughs) so he gets home and i always would always offer like hey man you know you're sick you want an iv always no no i'm good i'm good and then i get a call um can you come give justin an iv he's
1: he's pretty bad (laughs) to this day i think he says he doesn't hardly remember the first day after he finished that race so crazy
0: (laughs) how people can push themselves that is something that i do not have yeah like i want to be a competitor but i am a hobbyist yeah um so you you said it you know not maybe not totally a passion, what is, what's your passion?
1: I don't know. I've kind of, I've gotten away from that word. Yeah. I've gotten to this point where between some of the things I've studied between, you know, um, Ryan holiday stuff and other things like, I'm just not convinced that having a passion is great anymore. Yeah. (laughs) I think it's one of those words that like early two thousands, everybody had to have a passion and there's lots of things I like to do. And I don't like to be labeled like, like one thing that I've got a passion for. No,
0: that, that's that's really cool. That makes a lot of sense to me because I'm the same. I do a lot, but I don't know if I'm really passionate yeah. about anything.
1: Yeah, you're more like a whirlwind where you'll just eat something up until it kind of bores you a little bit, oh. until you've gotten a certain level of mastery and you find the next thing you really like.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I should find an actual level of mastery, though. I don't <laughs> think I ever get really good at anything, but I'm a, a jack of most trades and a master of none.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I did well just a background you know i've done ultra marathons i did an ultra marathon this last year and all the mountain bike races i don't know if i have room for it this year because christine wants to do t- tons more mountain bike races than we've ever done before but i mean i'm also really into educational technology and i'm into you know fixing bikes i'm into um helping my wife succeed with her youtube channel like t- trying to build a business yeah it's kind of been a new fun thing that i'm struggling to figure out but it's kind of you know it's Whenever there's something you don't really understand, yeah, it's just kind of fun to dig in until you start to uncover all these yeah nooks and crannies and things like these hidden mysteries inside each new topic because every topic's got them. Oh man,
0: it's so true. And then the more you learn, the more you learn that you don't know. Yeah. Um, something I really admired about you guys is like your family aspect of stuff, with like mountain biking and camping and getting kids out on hikes and everything. Something that we're not great at, but we look at you guys and we're like, we want to be more like that because <laughs> it teaches that. kids just, just grit. I guess when I, when I think of you, I think of grit and I, I don't know if it's because of those experiences or the mountain bike stuff that you do or the the YouTube channel stuff. Cause I know there's, you know, a big learning curve there and it can be really very, extremely difficult. You guys just seem gritty.
1: Yeah. I appreciate that. I don't know that I feel myself as being gritty, but I'm, I'm, it's a journey yeah right
0: sorry my phone keeps I, I usually pause, uh, silence it and I have not and then this shows there we go
1: so maybe if there's a passion in there somewhere it's probably learning yeah right learning and teaching that's kind of that's where my background is but
0: learning and teaching uh, what made you What what is your educational background and then what made you want to do what you're doing now
1: yeah I have a bachelor's <coughs> degree in Spanish education and a master's degree in educational technology So, yeah, I don't know. I I just had a lot of educators in my life that made a lot of good impact on my life. So when I got to college, I didn't know what the heck I wanted to do. Yeah. (laughs) And I knew Spanish, and so I was like, that's pretty easy. Let's do that. Yeah. And then I get into the classroom teaching high school Spanish, and I'm like, this kind of sucks. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I really like teaching Spanish, but I can't teach verb conjugations the rest of my life. For sure. So, yeah. So what
0: was the what was what were the steps there so you were in high school teaching high school spanish and then
1: teaching high school i was actually coaching a couple of sports i won't leave i won't name <laughs> and had some bad experiences yeah and then uh i i just remembered i honestly i was trying to look for a new job and i had i was kind of lost i was like 28 and just didn't know what the heck to do with my life didn't feel like this teaching gig was going to last or, or provide for my family and uh I had these administrators that just were over my shoulder all the time and telling me what to do. And I was like, you're barely a few years older than me. And don't you have this, you know, so-called master's degree. What does that make you better than me? Yeah. Yeah. And I I just didn't like the whole structure. So anyway, I I recognized that none of them knew anything about educational technology. This is like 2005, 2006. And I had a class on ed tech and I had this really great professor. And he was like, this is this is where you want to be. And so I started just exploring all the technology I had on campus and I started training other faculty how to, you know, we had an audio language lab that was just computers everywhere and audio recording stuff, just like you got in here and nobody knew how to use it. It was like $80,000 lab. Nobody yeah. could figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> so I went and figured it all out. And the next thing I knew it was like a couple months later, the next school district over offered me a job as an instructional technology coach. Okay. Doing just kind of that. and. I did that for four years and decided I probably should get a master's degree in this because yeah. it seems to lead somewhere. So
0: so you did that, and then at what point did you decide to come to Rexburg and work here?
1: Well, I did that, uh, ended up moving to North Carolina, and I was the director of technology for a school district out there. And then I uh, actually had a superintendent that was really kind of crooked, yeah. misspent a bunch of funds. I, got a, I wrote a $1.8 million grant got I got laptops into every kid's hands and then he this superintendent started hiring all sorts of people that were not written into my grant with my grant funds and I was like I think I should be out of here hey I I understand that I found this really great job at BYU Idaho and I was like oh let's give that a shot and they offered me the job and I've been there ever since that's cool so what do you do here and what do you do now I train faculty how to use technology in the classroom to teach and so that's everything from an LMS to just web tools. And I'll just tell you in the last year, it's been all AI.
0: I was actually going was that was in my mind to ask you, so.
1: Yeah, it's, it, I mean, it is, it's fun again. Like, I think technology kind of stalled out a little bit um, just before COVID, for maybe the four or five years before COVID, technology hadn't really changed a whole lot as far as educational technology. Nothing new and cool, but man, this AI stuff is making us it, it, it's really, you know, certain things in, in education were probably dead 15, 20 years ago. But AI is really going to, like, put the nail in the coffin.
0: Yeah. So in your opinion, what does AI do over the next 10 years as far as education? I wish I could tell you what it
1: looks like the next year. Really? Th- th- that's how hard this has become. Um, I mean, I'm really looking for it to be a tutor. Like, there's, yeah. and there's companies that are getting there pretty quick. Like, just this, just today I found another one. Where they're actually programming kind of a persona into the AI to make it act like a tutor that doesn't necessarily give the students all the answers, but nudges them there and can reteach them if they don't understand and can check their understanding, give them constant quizzing and and self checks. Um, That's crazy. And, and and hopefully, if it this is where I'm hoping we go, is that it can look at my course outcomes mm-hmm. and even maybe my my assessments, and know where I'm my trajectory, where I'm trying to get my students and get students. With every conversation to go towards that end target, um, and we're getting close. But what I'm also seeing at the same time is there's a lot of bad stuff. Like even just today, I found one. This new tool puts a button on top of every quiz you could possibly take on any platform, and basically just gives you the answer. Oh yeah. It just it yeah. sees quiz question. You click the button. It tells you the answer is B. Dang. You know so. Yeah. If, are we yeah, gonna? I guess
0: like any technology. You know it it's gonna have its downsides
1: well think about think about this let's go back to tom toms you know before we had tom toms you and i would probably use like map quest or something right and before that we would probably just ask for directions and actually pull up a map and yeah we there was a connection between our knowledge and our what our visual surroundings were yeah and we kind of figured out how to learn you know a town an area whatever it might be and then you get gps and then you just follow the directions and you don't necessarily see yeah and you kind of get this level of disconnectedness from what's going on around, around you and i'm I'm afraid that's kind of where a i is leading is yeah we we kind of take what it spits out and go with it rather than really sit and critically analyze and try to understand and make it our own
0: yeah i I see myself doing that with a i already. <laughs> I installed a safe the other day, and i just put into it. Hey, uh, I want to have a six-digit code. Just spit me out a random <laughs> six-digit code. That I'm like, I could have come up with a six-digit, you know, some random numbers, but I didn't. I threw it into yeah into ChatGPT. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, as far as our surroundings, I remember I used to lay down in the front seat of the car, and I on the way from Rigby to Ryrie. I could know where we were at depending on the power lines and the trees. Mm -hmm. So I would tell my mom, like, hey, the house next to us is yellow or, you know, whatever. My kids now will be like, are we in Rigby? Like, look around. We are obviously in Rigby. It's pretty crazy how how it's all changed, you know, so it's easy for them to be on a device or just not engaged in the world. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's scary. That's actually one of the things that – reasons why I always get my kids out to hike. Yeah. Because I'm like, you guys, we'll drive there, and they'll just be, like, playing in there. They won't even have a device. We don't give them devices. Yeah. They're just, like, s- their whole world is between their hands and their eyes. Yeah. And I'm like, there's this whole world beyond this car. Just please look around and figure out where we are. Yeah. <laughs> so what do they— You haven't had to teach kids how to drive around here yet, have you? <laughs> no, not
0: yet. It's soon, though. Uh,
1: two Two years? That's been the scariest thing is, like— like These kids don't, can't even figure out how to get to McDonald's.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I went to push a guy out of the snow the other day, and it would not go. But his tires weren't even spinning. He's like, I just don't have enough weight in the back of my truck to get my tires to spin. And I'm like, well, that makes no sense. Your tires should actually be spinning more. And after we pushed this guy and pushed this guy, I walked up to the front, and I was like, is your parking brake on? <laughs> <laughs> he pops his parking brake off. And we went and, like, you know, quote, pushed him out of the snow. His parking brake was just on he's just not used to idaho he just barely moved here he's going to school first time in the snow it is it was kind of hilarious wow but uh so what does ai do as far as teaching goes because you know you're teaching all of these educators how to use this technology it's almost like those educators may go away
1: yeah i think there's a lot of people that are worried about that and i'm still i have that worry in the back of my head as well but i mean you and I've been along, alive long enough that we've heard these similar conversations with, you know, the advent of the internet to, yeah. you know, cell phones or whatever it might be, calculators, graphing calculators. The conversations feel very much the same. Does Even social media, and I'll be honest, I'm one of those that I was all in on social media, and now I'm like, I don't think this is the healthiest thing for us. Yeah, I agree. You know, so I, I'm aware that somewhere down the road i'm going to be like no this is not right ai is not going to be the healthiest thing for us and i'm trying to go into it with that perspective still um is it going to get rid of our jobs some jobs i think for yeah. sure yeah I, and and i can't i can't tell you which but i'll tell you there's a lot of things i've done already on the internet that i'm like oh i'm just gonna have a i do that for me yeah you know from letters of recommendation to for sure. you know all sorts of presentations that i've had to give i'm like I, I probably could do a lot better job if I stopped to just, um, well, if I if I do it right, this is what I think happens, right? AI gets me 90% of the way there in, or 80% of the way there and 20% of the time. Yeah. But I still need to put a lot better quality effort into that other 20% of the time that I'm in there, whether it's a presentation, I'm like, okay, now maybe I need to make a story. Maybe I need to make this connected better. Yeah, because I think what you what we we're kind of already talking about is AI is not connected to us, and and it creates a level of disconnectedness between us. And we what we need to do is remember that our interpersonal connections are probably way more important. If we didn't learn that during COVID, I don't know what I, what for I sure. Yeah, very true. So but I then... think t- I think teaching and learning is going to hopefully for me figure out how to make better time for the students that are face to face. Yeah, in, in my face, whether it's. You know, on Zoom or whatnot, I've got to have better connections to them. So whether maybe it's me giving, letting AI give better feedback so I have time to talk to them in in different ways, um, mentor them a little bit more strategically and intentionally and let AI take care of the nuts and bolts of why your thought processes aren't right or your skills and knowledge are lacking. Yeah. Right.
0: Yeah. I think there will always be that interpersonal connection that just can't be replicated. I mean, they're going to try, right? Right. Like Neuralink is going to, I'm going to be able to just look at your thoughts somehow. I don't know. Um, The the jobs that I could actually see go away are the really higher education jobs. So I, I think of attorneys, for example, I mean, not that that's really higher education, but you know, you're at least a master's degree, a lot of times a doctorate and some of the best attorneys out there just know the most cases because of case law. Well, AI knows all the cases. So, you know, you put in all the information that you possibly can. All of a sudden, you have the case that you want with all the information that has ever been presented in the history of the world for doctors. So, you have a patient, and this is where, like, AI and fitness for me is, I actually think it's gonna take out, it's gonna kind of take out the fitness industry. Because mm-hmm. I can put in that I'm a 36 year old, I'm 172 pounds, I'm 10.5% body fat. Here's my testosterone, here's my A1C, you know, here's my list of stuff. Now it connects to my watch and your heart rate monitor, and if you wear a CPAP at night. And it started to connect to everything that's there. And I think it, it will be able to predict exactly everything about you. You need to be on this medication for six months before you get off of that medication. You know, maybe your high your blood pressure is this right now, so you need to get on this for a minute while we kick your nutrition into the right place, so then we can get you off your blood pressure medication. And I think it has potential, but it's also scary.
1: It is right, and and who controls all that? That's the question. Is definitely a concern I I have because you make a lot of decisions based off that data. Yeah. Right. And if that data is true data, then then great. Yeah. But if it's been manipulated to say this is the trustable data and <laughs> this is not, Very true. who's defining what most of that is? Yeah. But let me ask you a question. Like, What made you decide to do jujitsu? Oh, good question. Um, what motivated you? Like, What kind of piqued that interest? Um, it was probably
0: two or threefold. Um, one, I just felt like I needed needed to be learning something new uh two i'm i have a lot of firearms training i always carry but there's that 21 foot rule you know mm-hmm. i have a gun you have a knife you're 21 feet away from me what do we do <laughs> i a hand-to-hand combat sort of thing i right. wanted um those are the two i had a third one was wh- why i said threefold um but I forgot what that one was. So let's go with those two. So first was learning something new and having a new challenge. And Mm -hmm. then two was the actual self-defense part of it.
1: Yeah. And then since you've done it, like, how have you, have you been able to learn everything from, you know, a textbook?
0: Oh, no, no. Yeah, you're totally right. The, the practice is you could even go, you know, we, we learn for an hour and then we roll for 30 minutes. If you only stay and learn for an hour and you never roll, you're, you're
1: not, you're not there. I was going to say, that's, that's kind of what I was hoping you'd say. Cause I think when it comes to fitness, a lot of students that I know that are young, young kids like Jen, what are we on? Gen Z? I have no idea, <laughs> but they're like, they're, um, they think that there's way more people working out today because of Instagram. Yeah, And I was like, oh, I don't know if that's totally true, but they think more people are mm-hmm. motivated because they see other people have been able to do it. And I think that's always going to be the case. Like if A.I. can show me all these things that could be great, but nothing's going to actually make me want to do it until I know that I've seen someone else kind of do that. Now, that's not the case for everything, but um, there's a lot of people that still want to be the first to do certain things. Yeah. But there are a lot of people that are motivated by other people. Right. Like just inspired or motivated because they've seen someone else like already walk that road and know that it's it's possible that there is hope that even though i'm you know 200 pounds a day i could be 180 tomorrow you know relatively speaking yeah yeah. if i put in the right work if i follow you know something kind of like that guy did so i'm hoping that's still have to put in the work that's there's still a human connection that we need i know i've i've been watching some professors out of harvard that are actually preparing for case studies by debating with chat GPT before they get there. Cause you know, Harvard does case studies. Yeah. So they're just, <clears throat> they'll say, Hey, I want you to take this particular persona, or this particular role. And I want you to argue against me, but don't get out of character. I want you to stay in that character. And, uh, he's, he talks about, man, I've never been more prepared for a conversation with students because I've been able to kind of practice play before I actually get to the real thing.
0: That's really interesting.
1: So you can't do that with jiu No, No. <laughs> but if you could.
0: Oh, yeah, if you could.
1: Right? Like if you had like a real robot that could yeah. kind of mimic that, you could kind of practice some moves, right? You could practice, you know, whatever takedown method that you're going to practice or something before you get to pr- try it on someone else.
0: What I would love, if you have a student or you or someone that you know that could do this. <clears throat> so take any athletic activity, really any activity, but where my mind has been is athletics. If it could have watched me, start jujitsu. Everything that I do, it's like filming everything. So it knows the moves that I know. It knows the mistakes that I make and everything. Now it looks at me a year and a half later and would put a model together where I could fight myself or (laughs) CrossFit. You film yourself, you know, it knows your times and workouts. It knows that you can't do a pull-up and you can't do a 95 pound thruster. So it's showing you, you know, Hey, jumping pull-ups and, uh, barbell thrusters where you're not going to full depth. But then three years later, four years later, you've got the 95 pounds on the bar and you're doing butterfly pull-ups and it's like an AI way of seeing where you were, where you are and where you can be. Wow. That's just been my thought lately. That's that's pretty cool. I want to fight myself a year and a half ago because I don't feel like I have a lot of progress because everyone that I'm with is getting better as I get better. Mm-hmm. So I go, well, you know, I only I only tap, I only submit Tom fifty percent of the time. And some weeks Tom's just crushing me. And some weeks I'm well, I'm never crushing Tom, but you know, just I wanna fight myself. So that would be such an awesome tool. But then the projection later on. So you're able to film a kid mountain biking. Hey, here's where you are now, here's where you were a year ago. But if you continue on this path, here's where you are in three years.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Even think about that. Like if I, if you could just kind of even take a AI, make an overlay, like this is where your, this is what your technique looks like. This is what it should look like. Yeah. And And not have it be someone else in a different gym on a different camera, right? But it's actually AI generating the right technique on you and maybe comparing them side by side or overlaid. Like, there's some really cool things there.
0: Yeah, I'm sure it can get there. It's we're, helped me with gifts. <laughs> so my <laughs> sister-in-law, once she said, um, I want to have – we were talking about how AI will just do any picture for you. Uh-huh. you know? So she's like, wait, I don't get that. So I could say, like, that my bulldog is playing with a ball, and it will show me a picture. I was like, Sierra, get deep. Like, go far. Like, your dog is in a jungle – playing with an orange ball, you know, this and this and that. So we throw it in, show her the picture. She thinks it's hilarious. So I just got it printed on her for a canvas for for her birthday. Mm -hmm. Because it's like, you know, it's it's insane what it can do. And that's just what we see. That's not what is really there, you know.
1: Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of really interesting use cases. Let Let me just tell you one of the things I think that it's doing right now is it's actively saving search engines. I think the search engine was almost dead. Like it was, it was. I say that kind of tongue-in-cheek, but. I'm able to now go into a search and instead of using keywords like I used to and have to use Boolean searches with ands and ors and all this yeah. stuff. And, you know, it took me years to get good at really good keyword searches. Yeah. But now I can just ask it whatever question I want in whatever language I want and it understands and it can comb through the entire internet and find me the right answer. I'm getting better answers in Google than I've ever gotten before because now if I'm looking for, let's say I'm looking for, uh, you know, what kind, what size, what width tire can I put in the, this bike frame? Yeah. You know, it would take me forever to find that because Google can't know that. Yeah. But now it's combing through these forums and it's looking at 10 or other people that have had this conversation before me. And it pinpoints me right to the person that found the answer. Interesting. So
0: I didn't even know search engines are doing that. So they're, they're actively running on AI right
1: now. Yeah. It's that natural language processing that's gotten so much better. It just seems to understand. Now there's a lot of nuance to that, but it's, I mean, if you compare that to what it was five years ago.
0: Yeah. I guess now that you say that, um, I don't, I don't really use keywords when I search something. I say a sentence. Mm -hmm. That's just organically happened though. It's not because I knew that. I just, I guess over time, I've just noticed if I say, "How big a tire can I put on a Series Seven Kitfox aircraft?" Yeah. Instead of those keywords and or, but slash, comma. Yeah. That's really interesting.
1: Yeah. So. I mean, there's so many different parts to AI. I mean, we're, you talk about image generation or what other things are, but n- honestly, the biggest, I think, advance has been that natural language processing for the computer to really understand what we're saying. And the, the next thing that I, it just jumps to is, then what does it do? Now that it understands our languages, can it start doing better actions? Yeah. You know?
0: Well, Hollywood's scared about losing actors because now you can essentially just throw in an idea of a script, and not only does it write the script, it puts Tom Cruise in the movie.
1: <laughs> well, there's all sorts of lawsuits over that already. Too. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, I think there's a lot of there's an, uh, the the writers have a couple of writers have filed lawsuits against ChatGPT and OpenAI because they're the way they're scraping data off the Internet. They're like, that's not what it was intended oh, okay. to use, be used for. So we'll have to see. You know, 2024, I think, will bring a lot more lawsuits over all this. Yeah. And we'll have to figure out where we're at. but. Well, then
0: they'll use ChatGPT to, to, to uh, have the best case against themselves. Um, I, so I wrote a, just a small book, and then my wife took it, <clears throat> and she went paragraph by paragraph and put it into ChatGPT. I didn't know she was going to do this, just to make it sound better. Mm-hmm. I, I write like I talk, mm-hmm. and sometimes that's not the best. I went to school at Rigby, and I'm a college dropout. <laughs> um, but then when I went to publish it on Amazon, it said, was this written using AI? So I went in and started looking. You know, was this because I actually wrote it, but we cleaned it up with AI, and it, there's kind of a gray line there. Of well, no, I wrote it, but we did clean it up with AI. So it's not AI, but my grammar's AI. I, I don't know. There's there's a lot there. It's a new world that's going to be very
1: interesting. Well, I think the principle is you know whether you're let's just say you're like the queen of England and you give this talk that some speechwriter wrote for you. Or, you know, a CEO, like let's just say you're Steve jobs and you wrote something with your administrative assistant, yeah. which one's actually going to sound like it's you, right? There's a certain level of ownership and who actually re- wrote it. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I did this with my daughter when she was doing a senior paper, she had never seen chat GPT. And so we're writing it back and forth and we went back and forth with the AI for two hours almost. Just negotiating back and forth, saying, hey, I really need to write it like this and um, just I need it to have this kind of level of professionalism. And I don't know what a really good one looks like. Can you give me some examples? And we went back and forth and back and forth. Finally, she ended up writing her own. Yeah. Then I put it in AI and said, does this meet the requirements of what she's supposed to be doing? And it said, yes, it meets them 90%. But if I was going to rewrite it, here's what I'd do. And I didn't ask it to do that. It just rewrote it. And so I got done and I asked my daughter. I'm like, okay, now, is this yours or is it AI's? Like, who wrote it? Yeah. And I I think we're all struggling, whether it's, you know, copyright laws or if it's plagiarism laws. Like, nobody's got a good answer for that right now. And I think the courts are going to settle that out pretty quick in the next year or two, hopefully.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that that is really interesting. Because technically you could put in... ChatGPT, do not use any other sources. Don't plagiarize this in any way. Right. Don't use language from any other speech or talk or letter or whatever. Is it yours? I yeah, that's very interesting. One
1: college I saw said that they expect every student that uses Chat GPT to represent it in their source citation as a conversation with a friend. Okay. And I was like, that's the best at least advice I've seen so far because most yeah. people are saying, I don't know. Yeah. So at least doing something is better than nothing, yeah. And at least telling people that yeah I use ChatGPT and maybe describing it at least to us, you know what your use case was to a certain point could help the reader understand. But if I told you I wrote a book with ChatGPT, would that diminish what you think about it? Would would would, would the clout fall down a little bit? That's the question. I, I mean,
0: in my mind, yes. Yeah. But my book sure sounds a lot better grammatically. But the ideas and everything were, were organic. You know, yeah. there are things that I've read and learned and, and wanted to throw in there. But grammatically, I'm sure someone reads it and they're like, man, this is pretty good.
1: Listen, I get it. I do it too. Like, I may be a college graduate, but I still, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know if my writing sounds very good anymore. So yeah. I throw everything in Grammarly and ChatGPT yeah. to just double check to see if I oh, sound. Yeah, Grammarly is great. Because I don't want to sound like an idiot.
0: Yeah. So we will, do, we will not go political with this, but just take... A connected population where now Google and DuckDuckGo and Yahoo and all of them know everything that you've put in there. And they see all your text messages and they see all this stuff. And then the government or somebody of power, maybe it is Google, they end up having all of that data. But there needs to be this really powerful speech written to the nation to get an agenda thrown in in a certain direction it could be scary yeah because you take all of that data and they I mean they probably know everything they know everything they're listening to this right now on our phones or whatever I don't know that's a I think that's what Elon Musk is scared about you know because he's he's scared about AI yet he's pioneering AI then you have US that's like hey we got we need to make sure that we keep China and Russia and, and Iran and you know we need to keep them in check as far as AI goes like do does AI then get the nuclear launch buttons or whatever? It's so weird because it's far-reaching. It's from our eight-year-old kid that is possibly using it to help them write a talk to world leaders, getting a speech or right.
1: Yeah, you know, you think it's there's multiple psychologists on record saying we don't even have a good definition of what intelligence is. Period. <laughs> Let alone what artificial intelligence is. So if we yeah. can't define intelligence. What are we doing? Like, and and I have, I don't have good answers for any of that. Here's been my stance and the way I train my faculty is we need people with good morals to be informed and be educated users of this technology so that we can keep it in check. Yeah. If we just hide our heads under the sand, then we can't make informed decisions about it. We can't be a part of the conversation. We're just going to be at the whim of whatever, whoever is controlling yeah. all of these things. Yeah. And uh, I think that's really important. Uh, you know, there's, I don't know what OpenAI is doing. I know that they've, even in the last two months or so, you know, when they fired that CEO, yeah, there's been a lot of speculation about what actually happened there and they haven't been open or forthcoming about what actually happened. Yeah, And that doesn't make me trust them anymore.
0: <laughs> no, no, for sure.
1: So I, uh, I say all these things to say, I'm, I'm really optimistic, but I think in the back of my mind, I'm like, I'm really just trying to prepare people to say, we might need to make a stand yeah. if, if this gets out of control. Yeah. And there's little things like the little button that gives everybody the answers. I'm like, I, I think that's probably crossing the line.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. <laughs> yeah, because then whatever intelligence is defined as, you're not doing it, even however you want to define the intelligence. It's not you anymore. Now the computer's making the decisions. But you talk about it being run by moral people. I mean, that just goes back to kind of circling clear back to the first of the conversation, getting your kids out camping, getting them mountain biking, teaching them good morals, teaching them you know, that's the only way that we're going to have good leaders or heads of these organizations is if we're starting at the level of the family.
1: Yeah, yeah, it does all start, I mean, Denzel Washington does a really good job at saying that, like, it all starts in the home. It's cool. Yeah, we got to make sure that we're taking our kids and getting them just off of those screens Yeah. <laughs> as an educational technologist. I'm like, I, I cringe. I look around and I see families that just, they'll go out to dinner and their kids just have the lap. All the kids have their iPads and it's just like their pacifier Yeah. at, you know, eight, nine, 10, 12, 15, whatever years old they are, or even the, or the adults. 30. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> I, I, I mean, I try like, it's obviously sitting here upside down and, and away, but it's just too easy. You know, and at dinner, it's like, well, I'll just hurry and check my text messages. Oh, there's an Instagram post. Like, I, and I'm very visual about that and really, really try not to. But if I'm not trying not to, it's far too easy. Yeah.
1: Well, Christine has this new rule. So she has the kids try to bring friends over every now and then. And if the older kids come over, there's a cell phone basket. That's awesome. Because if we've gone down there a couple of times and everybody is watching a movie and they're all on their cell phones. Yeah. We're like, why would you all come to the same house and watch the same movie if you're just going to sit there and gaze into these, you know, screens? So it goes back to the thing, the same thing. Like, we've got to be connected to each other better. Yeah. And I'm not great at this. And I think I've probably created my own problem with being so connected digitally. So Yeah. But it's,
0: it's also tough not to, <clears throat>
1: you know, running a business if you're not.
0: On Instagram, you're not on TikTok, you're not on Twitter, and YouTube. It's very difficult to run a business nowadays. Mm-hmm. You know, every ad campaign that we do is okay. That being said, some of our best ad, some of our best advertising is handing out flyers. Really, but we're a pretty unique business in that in that respect.
1: Yeah. So how do you, how do you manage like keeping yourself balanced between being on your cell phone and being connected to people around you? Because you've got really good. I mean, I've, I've watched it for many years. You've got good, strong personal connections and relationships. And sometimes yeah, I'm, I'm like, I'm a little jealous.
0: Oh, no, don't. No. <clears throat> we just, we, we try to go out once a week with my wife or we try to do something. Like, even if it's watch an, an episode of something on Netflix or whatever. But as long as it's together, like, we make sure that there's that. And then we just try to go out once a week with friends. Yeah. Um, and during that, cell phones away. You know, at at night, I've been really bad lately because if we do watch something on Netflix, I'm researching how to build an airplane. So that hasn't been the best, (laughs) but at least it's not, you know, Instagram and all of that. Um, We go in cycles with our kids. So it'll be a couple weeks of, hey, you only get an hour a day, and then that kind of starts to go away, and then we notice they start to become little little craps, and we have to put that back in place, you know, hey, that, only an hour and a half a day. But That,
1: that follow-through is a pain in the butt, isn't it's it? It's very,
0: very difficult. Uh, but I would say for myself, it's just um, kind of a self-regulation. Yeah. I just start to notice, like, you know, hey, I've started following, you know, I, I don't know, just different, different accounts that start to take me away from my, my core, so... You know, maybe it's like I'm following way too many jujitsu accounts and I'm not following Ryan Holiday and Daily Stoic anymore. And so, okay, i got to get rid of some of those jujitsu accounts or watch too much CrossFit or whatever it is. So self-regulation, but I wish I was better at it. I still think I probably look at Instagram and TikTok way too much.
1: Yeah. I'm afraid to pull up that that time calculator, whatever uh, Apple's got. Yeah,
0: it tells me every single week. And some weeks I'm very surprised in both directions. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, some weeks it's like, "Hey, you only had two hours on social media." I'm like, Whoa, good job! And then other weeks it's like, "Ooh, that's pretty bad." So I don't know. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. It's just important for us to get out and um, human human can kind of adding adding value. So I can't add value in a conversation with some friends at dinner if I'm on my phone.
1: Yeah, and not to mention, boy, I I'll, I'll get into conversations. I'll go out to dinner with you or something. If I have done nothing but watch TikTok or, you know, I don't watch TikTok. That's a bad example. Yeah. <laughs> but shorts or something like that, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm not interesting to be around. I've got nothing interesting to say. Yeah. Did you see I that, totally video? Did you see that yeah. video? See this new meme that came out? If I'm, if I've been reading, I'm way more, I've got more to add to the conversation. I've got more conversations, topics to talk about, more ideas to discuss. Yeah. Like more questions to ask. For sure. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. No, I like that. That's probably something that I do as well is, uh, lots of audiobooks, lots of podcasts. Um, and try not to, I try to keep a very open mind of, you know, if I listen to something, I, I don't want to, you know, let's say I'm very conservative. I still want to listen to very liberal views. Yeah. Cause I don't, I don't want to just be that guy. So what are you listening to right now? Uh, I am listening to solving the JFK assassination podcast. <laughs> So right on. Um, let's see I'm listening to that. Also listening to Elon Musk's new biography. Um, it's the latest one, I think it came out maybe six months ago. Who wrote it? I don't know. OK. Um, Brian Dold, who was on the podcast uh, about a month ago, uh, he told me to listen to it, and it's really cool because it's, it's updated enough that it's got some of this Twitter stuff in it and, and his idea on Twitter. This Twitter thing? has been his entire plan the entire time. Like PayPal was going to be called X and it was going to be a social media platform with a payment solution system. And then he was kind of ousted from all of that with Peter Thiel and all of that. Mm -hmm. And he found his opportunity to just switch it and buy the social media platform and now he's going to put money into it, you know, into payment platforms. Um, so that, that's interesting. And I don't have the attention span to listen to one thing at one time. So there's that. Especially heavy stuff like that. Yeah. 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 Um, there's one more. It's a, it's a history podcast, but it's, um, it's not revisionist history, which is a good one. I used to listen to that one. Yeah. But it's a history one, but it kind of alternative. So like there was just an episode of on Hitler, but it was about his dad. So that was okay. pretty interesting to kind of, you know, go in that just different direction. Okay. His dad's name was, <sighs> okay, I need to, I see, I need to prepare better. <laughs> I didn't know we were going to talk about Hitler. Um, it was some weird last name like Schnitzelweiser or something Okay, like And his dad changed his name to Hitler. His last name was Hitler. Schickelgruber. That's what it was. Okay. His dad's last name was Schickelgruber. And it hit me. If his dad wouldn't have just changed his name, Hitler probably would not have r- risen to power. Because wow. Heil Hitler, Yeah, which people cannot take out of context when they hear me say that on this podcast. If you just take that one little clip, no one's going to say Heil Schnickelgruber. <laughs> so it's just, it kind of hit me how fickle history can be
1: too. Yeah. So there's that. Huh. Did you ever watch that uh what was that show that they had, Chasing Chasing Hitler? Yeah. Uh Hunting Hitler?
0: Hunting something? Yeah, something along those lines. Yeah. It's the
1: history channel show. huh. I only saw like one episode, but it was fascinating. Oh,
0: it's so great. Uh because I think that our that's one thing you know you know about me, like I don't really believe most history that we're told because it's written one by the victor or in um in Genghis Khan's History was actually written not by the victor. They, a lot of their people didn't have social—they they couldn't read and write. So they actually enslaved the Chinese and told them to write the history. <laughs> so that's kind of interesting. But I just don't believe most history. So what we know about what happened with the Nazis after the war and how the war was won, I've always just been a little bit skeptical of it. And when that hunting Hitler thing came out, it, one of the main guys in it, his name is Tim Kennedy— He's an ex-army ranger. He was in the UFC, big jiu-jitsu guy, uh, big-time entrepreneur. And so that's one reason why I wanted to watch it is because I really like Tim Kennedy. And where that really led them was Argentina. Yeah. An insane amount of ex-SS the uh, you know SS and, and Nazi party went to Argentina. Yeah. But we also have a lot here. There was Operation Paperclip. Have you ever heard of that? No. So we brought over 3,000 Nazi scientists and their families, and we embedded them within our government. And that sounds so conspiratorial. Like, that is not true. There's no way. You can look up Operation Paperclip. All
1: right. You got, de- me, you got me looking it up now.
0: Declassified by the CIA. We brought in war criminals. We brought in ex-Nazis. We brought in bad guys. And we just put them right into our government and said, run NASA for us here, we like some of the stuff you did over here, so now you're part of our CIA. It's interesting. It's so, we just, the history we learn isn't necessarily hmm. what really went down. So, okay, um, that History Channel one's good. Yeah, And anything Tim Kennedy is good. He goes on missions now for, I don't remember what the nonprofit is, but it's pretty much funded by Glenn Beck. And uh, when we left everything in Afghanistan, like all human all, trafficking stuff. Um, yeah, he does. Uh, he does. I, I, I believe a lot of that. <clears throat> but when that whole Afghanistan thing went down and we kind of left a lot of Americans there, left a lot of military equipment there, all of a sudden you don't see Tim Kennedy on Instagram for two weeks. You know, no one really thinks anything of it. And there's a whole group of these guys that you just don't see any Instagram posts. And then a couple of weeks later, they get back and they go, Glenn Beck funded 13 million dollars and we went over and we brought 500 Americans back home. Like that's what he does now. He's just ex Army Ranger. Him and a bunch of SEAL buddies and and ex CIA guys. They just go on missions all around the world and help. Cool. It's pretty cool. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So, yeah. <laughs> well, um, I appreciate you. I've been wanting to just get together and chat for quite a while. And but really quick, you got to tell your moose story. Oh jeez.
1: <laughs> okay. So this, you know, we had a really warm spring, or not a spring. We had a really warm fall. Yeah. And our mountain bike trails stayed open way longer than they should have. Yeah. <laughs> I think I got dry ground like right around Thanksgiving, which is unheard of. But it was like the week or two before Thanksgiving, my uh, 17-year-old son and I were mountain biking, get to the top of this mountain. We decided to take this little offshoot that we'd never done before. So we, we probably rode maybe 150 yards, not far off where we're normally at. And all of a sudden the dog goes crazy and we get off our bikes because usually she's crazy for a reason. And yeah, she, she's just barking like there's something up there. And Andrew goes, dad, there's a moose. And I look through the, through the thickets of the trees right around the corner. It's probably about 40 yards in front of us. There's a bull moose. And usually when the dog barks at the bull moose, because we've run into two or three others this year, she'll chase them off. Um, I could put one foot off the bike and I'm clipped in. Andrew's clipped in <laughs> So we get one foot off and one foot's clipped in. And, uh, I start pulling out my phone and I, just as I pull out my phone, the moose starts charging the dog and I'm like, we're in trouble. Yeah. And I managed to unclip and honestly it was probably four seconds and the moose is like right on top of us and he kicks as he goes by <sighs> us. and Andrew and I just dive off into the thicket, just barely off this double track road. And, uh, man, like our heart's racing. Oh, yeah. And I'm, you know, pull, pulling myself <laughs> off the ground, trying to, you know, reel around and figure out where this moose is at to see if he's coming back. Unfortunately, the dog's kind of like keeping him at bay. And uh, he recognized that we weren't much of a threat and he kind of walked off. But man, I have never been charged by a moose before and I don't ever want to happen again. No. But oh, I mean, what am I supposed insane. to do? Mountain bike with, you know, bear spray everywhere? I'm like, that's about where I'm at. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Do do you...
0: I guess you do now. Do you carry? Do you carry anything else? Any thing that goes boom?
1: I I have not been carrying uh, anything, even bear spray. Yeah. But um, I think that's about to change. Yeah. Because I, I, honestly, I ran into three moose this year. Yeah. And so there's two. One time, I honestly almost hit the moose with my mountain bike. I came charging down through this turn, came around this turn, and I had to throw the bike into a skid not to hit the moose. Oh man. Um, but I was going so fast and I was up on the bike that I, I think I scared her pretty good. She yeah. was, a, she was a cow, but, uh, there's just, I mean, the three, three in one year on, on basically in this, within a mile of each other. Yeah. Like they're, I've, they're I've, I've seen too many moose up there.
0: That's crazy. Yeah. Wildlife. It's, well, there's, there's more people killed by deer every year than in deer attacks, not just hitting like a deer on a road and something bad goes, you know, and you die hitting him. Deer, like deer attacks way more deer attacks and deaths than by sharks we're all scared of shark attacks What you should be scared of is getting gored by a deer <laughs> so
1: yeah well you know i used to run boy scout camp and i've i had up in wyoming yeah so i've been bears. close to bears yeah. and moose now a couple times and that's the first time ever charged by a moose
0: yeah yeah that's scary you showed me that video and i was like man that that's
1: insane. Yeah, the whole, like, you know, two seconds that I got, yeah. actually got the moose on the video because yeah, that was...
0: Two seconds of you showing me the video and my heart rate goes up. I'm like, I can't even imagine being there.
1: Yeah, I was just, I was so thankful that we both had it unclipped. Because if we had not been able to get unclipped from our bikes, yeah. we would have been trapped, basically stuck, yeah. attached to the bikes. <laughs> it's crazy stuff.
0: Well, keep it all up. It's really cool to just see what you're doing um, and how you're doing it with your family. That's... That's what's kind of blown us away and just um, that we admire you guys a lot about. Um, you got the the camper this year and, you know, have just been making it happen.
1: Just all the family stuff. It's really cool. Got to have a camper to get to half the mountain bike trails. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you we, too. We
0: went on a camping trip once. We young kids. I don't think Heber was even born. And it wasn't supposed to snow, but it snowed all night long. I was awake all night. Kids were yelling, screaming. We're all freezing. And I'm not usually like a never, like I'm not an absolutist, so I'll usually never say never. Mm-hmm. I was like never again. <laughs> I think we went out like a week later and bought a camper. I was like, right, if I'm going to camp, I'm going to do this right. <laughs> but,
1: but that's me. Do you remember the time we went camping together and it like hailed on us the whole time at, at like 9,000 feet? Where was that? That was Meadow Lake. Oh, yeah. That's the camping trip. Was that, was that the same that's, one yeah. for you? Yeah. I mean, we, yep. were, we were in a tent that time and we froze. Yes.
0: Yep. We went on a hike that day. That day. And it was on the way back that it started to snow. But I think we were in t-shirts on the on the way up. On well, it was
1: like the middle of July. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Like it should not be. <laughs> it's just, I don't even think it snowed. I think it was just hail and right, rain. Just hailed. But I mean, the, it, was it, such it a looked like it. Because remember, there was like three inches of yes. hail on the ground.
0: Yeah, it was such a miserable night. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that, that was a hard one. So anyway, but you know what? this is why I take my kids out and do those things is you have to have a certain level of adventure and uncertainty and handle it together for sure. And there's just something about what you learn from those experiences. There's times I remember doing things with my dad, camping or backpacking that I'll never forget. Yeah. Right. And I hope my kids never forget some of those experiences, but recognize that like we weren't afraid to go out and try. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I like that a lot. We that's something we need to be better about with our kids is actually getting them out, doing it. We meant to text you guys or call you all last summer. Where do we go? Where do we go? Where do we go? And we just never did it. So (laughs) next summer,
1: I've got ideas for days. That's awesome.
0: (laughs) Well, I really appreciate you. We appreciate your time, and uh, let's let's do it again. Thanks. That was fun. Thanks.